dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BurnsClan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness. He has a very extensive bio, the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, the book award nominee and winner, Mr. Blue Check verified himself, because let me tell y'all something, we do not allow the master to define <laughs> What we call each other. Dr. Jamar Tisby, what's going on, my brother? Very good, man. I thought you were going to have to change the intro because uh, <clears throat> Muskie kind of messed up the blue check. Oh, Muskie? I thought you said Musty. <laughs> <laughs> I said, wow, this energy is different. <laughs> this Pastor Mike is different. Already, yes. Listen, though, I have to shout out the people, though, because they gave me some excellent alternative options. And I think our favorite is... Uh, Mr. Blue Check Vilify. That's right. Shout out to Brandon Henry. I thought that's that was pretty dope. good. That's, Take on that's Verified really Vilified. No. I like that. I appreciate that. I, I honor that. I also honor that because that's the energy that you've been receiving <sighs> over these past few years. Like, I really want to talk about this because it seems like, Jamar, you are at the center of controversy. Hmm. And knowing you off mic and knowing you personally, there is nothing about Jamar that would place himself at the center of controversy, desire it. He's not a drama seeker. He's mm. none of that. He's not trying to find a T. None of Bro, that. I want to be chill. You chilling. I'm you minding your own peace. business. You know? You're doing what you do. You listening to your Swifty albums. Okay. You're doing all this Here stuff. You just minding your own business. Your own black business. Yeah, man. And people seem to be inserting you in certain things. So I came across this. Religion News Service put this out on May 3rd of this year. They put out this article that says somebody got fired for referencing you. Wild. I'm like, hold up now. Now, how did somebody get let go, contract not renewed for referencing you? How did you first come across this story? I first came across it. Uh, Professor Julie Moore of Taylor University contacted me because she saw some of my coverage of Professor Sam Jockel from Palm Beach University. He had been dismissed from his job at this far right Christian university for teaching about racial justice. And so she can saw me cover that. Can you tell us a little that. bit about that, that story real quick? Just, just so people are, are seeing the connections and they can find out more. I'm, I'm just trying to tell folks like this is a trend and it will not go away. It will only Increase. So what happened was Professor Sam Jockel is a white guy, has taught at Palm Beach Atlantic for 20 years. He walks out of his class after class one day. His provost and his dean are waiting for him, which in the academic system, you don't want either one of those people waiting for you, let alone both. And basically, they said the renewal of his contract was put on pause pending a review of his curriculum that he was teaching in this course. And what they said was essentially a parent had come, one parent had gotten to the president and said, my child was in his class and he, this professor is indoctrinating students with like critical race theory, wokeness, whatever label they use nowadays, right? And long story short, this professor ended up getting fired. Now, interesting enough, I was in his syllabus as well. And that was one of the points that they made as far as his non-renewal. And, and they specifically fired him immediately because he went public with this. Mm. And the way he went public with this, he tagged me in an Instagram post. I didn't know him. And then um, he told me his story and, and I put it out on my Substack. So 
another professor, Professor Julie Moore, saw this. And she said, well, if Dr. Tisby's willing to tell his story, maybe he'll tell mine. And she told me this eerily similar tale. She had been teaching at Taylor University for several years. She teaches composition. Every composition class has a theme. Her theme was social justice, racial justice. Mind you, this is a white woman. She had taught at Wilberforce College, which is a uh, historically black college, yeah. too. So she th that was an eye-opening experience for her. And she said, no matter where I go, no matter where I teach, this has to be part of what I teach. And she's very knowledgeable and informed. And she similarly gets summoned to the provost's office. And in that meeting, the provost tells her, we're not renewing your contract. And she's like, why? What is it? What is it about? And the professor said, you've turned this writing class into a sociology of race class. And he didn't know the syllabus at all. He had this just, I don't know what he was doing. But she kept pressing him. And she's like, well, what specifically about this class? Because the main textbook is actually a classic of, of composition used all over the country. And we only talk about race as sort of a vehicle of content to practice writing. Here's all the ways I grow my students in their writing ability. What specifically is wrong? And the only thing he said, he said, well, Jamar Tisby's the main issue here. And why did he name my name? Because he had read like the first page of the syllabus where she quotes me. But that's it. So I, I, want, I want to really <laughs> give some honor to the RNS uh, journalism team, specifically Bob. I believe it's Smetana. That's Smetana. right. And he writes this article. And the title of this article, you, you all can uh, check it out, is Taylor Professor Julie Moore cited Jamar Tisby on her syllabus. Then she lost her job. I love that headline because that, that's that's called saying what it actually is mm. <laughs> <laughs> and saying the what people would like to be the quiet part out loud. So and I'm quoting from the article specifically here. It says during her meeting, Moore protested pointing out that while she quoted from Tisby, whom she said she admires in her syllabus, she had not assigned any writings by him to students. Her protest went unheeded as Maxwell told her he did not want to debate specifics according to the recording. And she says this uh, in, in the next paragraph, I feel like I was in the twilight zone. So again, we're, we're, we're talking about this in a very particular way because you're quoted in the early portion of that opening, but not assigned. Do you remember and do you know what quote was given and written during that particular uh, portion that the president read? I do remember it. The quote she used in the introductory narrative of her syllabus that just sort of frames what the class and the theme is about was this from The Color of Compromise. History and scripture teach us that there can be no reconciliation without repentance. There can be no repentance without confession, and there can be no confession without truth. That's it? That's pretty much it. I think there was maybe one more line from that section, but that's all. Like you said, she didn't assign my book. She didn't even assign an excerpt or a chapter from my writings. She just quoted me. And that was enough for this provost to like trigger him that this was all about wokeness or indoctrination or critical race theory or whatever they want to label it. And, it, 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 you know, what is disagreeable in that quote? That's what's so 
sort of baffling about all of these things because we've got Grove City College, Palm Beach Atlantic, now Taylor University, and those so are just others. the ones so many others that I know of, right? Right. And 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 in each case, the quote unquote offensive portion, like what's untrue? It should be something that's. Uh, agreeable that we can all come to a consensus on. And it also doesn't necessarily always have to be about a specific issue of racial justice. Even, even that particular quote is really about the importance of truth, confession and repentance 100%. in every area of life, right. which includes race and racial justice, but is not limited to those things. It's not, not uh, just bound to those topics. So let me ask you this. What has the fallout been? Because this has captivated people's attention. You boost it. Of course, RNS talks about it. Um, she's kind of looking for some sort of, of justice and remuneration in this uh, process. But what has the fallout been from others? What have you heard? What have you seen as people are reacting to the story? Outpouring of support by and large online. And you have current students and alumni, other people just observing who see this situation. By the way, I have never seen so many receipts in a personnel situation like this. Mm -hmm. uh, Professor Moore was assiduous about collecting memos, emails, reports, letters. She even has a recording of the meeting with this provost where he said her contract wouldn't be renewed. And that's legal in Indiana. And so you don't have to take, this is not a, he said, she said situation. These are their words. These are primary sources, right? So people saw all of that data and they were like, this is completely bogus. Uh, they did her wrong. They did her dirty. Uh, that quote from Tisby wasn't at all, incorrect or offensive or divisive or anything like that. What is going on here? So a ton of support. There have been petitions. I'm particularly um, proud of and encouraged by the students who are taking initiative and taking action. By the way, this is on top of everything else students have to do. I mean, it, it, this is the end of the semester, right? So you got final exams and papers and studying and graduation and summer coming up, all of this stuff. They're still taking time out to say this is a matter of justice. So they've started petitions. Um, the pro the president had some forums. I don't know how those went, but, you know, they're taking action on this. Um, alumni have come together and uh, crafted an open letter in support of Professor Moore. So that's been really encouraging. But from the administration, from the people responsible for this decision, gaslighting, minimizing, it's, it's, it's the exact opposite reaction you hope they would have when something like this is exposed because this is what they're trying to do. They didn't ever think this was going to be public. So now it's about damage control and image control rather than about justice. Let me ask you this question, because I think this is um, maybe not as apropos for everyone else or applicable for everyone else, but I think this is important for us in this conversation, which is when I read the story and when I saw the headline, I had a visceral reaction because I know you. And so my question for you is not just how has the response been for others, but what has the response been like in your body? And how have you responded and how have you felt? How do you feel when you see these headlines? Because this is a consistent theme. And one of the things that I think we're trying to do at Pass and Mike is not just simply approach this from a perspective of talking about the issue, but talking about it from a place of humanity and embodiment. 
where we feel this, we're not just talking about this, but we feel this in our bodies and we feel this in our minds, in our souls. And we feel this personally. So when you hear that she quoted you in the syllabus and this is a major reason why she lost her job, how does that make you feel? So my sort of concern is less about what I know than what I don't know. In the sense of, I know about this particular instance at Taylor and and with the quote in the syllabus, right? But what I'm curious about is how I get on the radar of the provost to the extent where the mere quoting or mention of my name is cause, is evidence that this professor is doing something she shouldn't be doing, right? Like what was the conversation or the chain of events that got my name on this person's radar, right? So so it's 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 one of those things about how many opportunities to speak to people who really need to hear this stuff about racial justice and the gospel am I not getting because of these backdoor conversations, right? Um, what is being said about me amongst power brokers, decision makers who can influence a lot of people by their actions? I'm curious about that more than anxious about it, right? But and also then again, um, this isn't the first time it's happened. So I think I think probably with the Grove City stuff, that all popped off in like 2021, early 2022. That's when it was like new, felt newer. But even then again, there have been precursors, which you've been around for. I mean, we've experienced this in different ways, shapes and forms as the witness. And I think primarily because... In our origins, we were in and around these more conservative Christian circles. So, to, were to controllable. Me, yeah, but I think it was, you know, it wasn't like Cornell West talking, right? Who had never been attached to these circles. It was like, oh, he was once in the PCA. He was once at Reformed Theological Seminary. He once wrote for the Gospel Coalition or whatever it might be. These places that they go to as trustworthy, right? And then to see this Negro they couldn't control no more. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, this this person who whose conversation with, and that conversation is including the witness and pass the mic, right? Cannot be not only can't be controlled, but it, it can't be contained. There's so much to unpack here. Let's take a quick break and let's take a deep breath. And then we're going to come back and talk about a little bit more. And I think the broader ramifications of these types of stories and why we're talking about it here on Pastor Mike. Hey, everybody, this is Tyler. This is Dr. Jamar Tisby. And we are excited that you're listening to this episode of Pastor Mike. But let me encourage you to support us. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Pastor Mike. And for just $1 an episode. Just a dollar? Now, that's the bare minimum. That's four quarters. But if you want to go higher, okay, 5, go 10, higher. 15, right. 20, 25, whatever it is, that will keep this show going and keep the high quality that hopefully you enjoy. So thank you for listening. But you can take it to the next level. Patreon.com slash Pass the mic. We appreciate you.
So one of the things that I'm thinking about with this whole debacle is how far right Christians create these avatars to as a stand in for much bigger issues. Right. So there's nothing terribly unique or really even revolutionary about what Jamar Tisby is saying. I just have become a convenient avatar to symbolize all that's wrong with racial justice in a Christian context, yeah. right? And, 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 and we've had many, many conversations about this on the podcast uh, around how there's really an assault on racial justice in many Christian contexts. Um, we can look at the Lenses Institute from Crew being yes. forced to disband. Yes. We can look at uh, Southern Baptist seminary presidents signing a statement against critical race theory. We can look at the rise of the conservative Baptist network and all of these things, right? I, I wanted to mention, I was just with um, a mutual friend, Stephen Harris, mm -hmm. and he was recounting the story about him being pushed out of ERLC Unreal, and, and all of that. And, and when he recounted the story and how he's been navigating that and now looking back on it years later and how it just became something that Rod Dreher and, you know, other people like, you know, took and, and promoted, I, I felt such tension in my mm. body because I'm like, wow, this is a consistent theme. And it seems like all of us have the same story That's right. in different That's places right. and different regions and different denominations. It seems like we all have the same story and it's just continuous. Yeah. Be, because folks, I don't know if we recognize context changes, context shifts, there was a shift when Obama got elected. To me, that was a glaring red light to a lot of far right folks that, oh, my, it happened. We always said it was a possibility, but here it is. We have a black president. And this is, to me, for them, it was the clearest, most tangible sign that the country is changing. And for them, it meant changing for the worse. So then we saw the Tea Party, right? right? Rise of the Tea Party. Then we had Trayvon Martin. A year later, his killer is acquitted. Black Lives Matter becomes a thing. And we have the killing of Mike Brown and Ferguson. And now it's really a thing. But coinciding with that, we've got Trump, who's at first just a sideshow. But then as the candidates whittle down and whittle down, oh, he becomes serious. But evangelical and Christian support doesn't wane for him among white folks, it actually coalesces around him. Right. And and not just for the election, for his presidency. They remain a faithful constituency. And then we get this horrific video of a man named George Floyd slowly being asphyxiated on camera, combined with Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor. And we get this historic, and I do mean historic, racial justice uprisings in 2020 and then immediately we get january 6th and an insurrection yeah, yeah and immediately we get this this explosion this public explosion of white christian nationalism yeah, right yeah. so yes the story is repeated and it's been ongoing and the whole point of that is the context is shifting which means institutions and specifically christians institutions are declaring themselves and and can you talk about whether or not, and this is probably a bigger topic for another podcast, but just you mentioning that, 
Christian institutions are declaring themselves? What is the viability of those of us who believe in racial justice being a part of Christian institutions in the future that are declaring themselves in subtle and also not so subtle ways? Because this is what we're this is really one of the things that we're talking about. Right. We're we're in these institutions and we're trying to create change and we're trying to make change. And we're we're saying it's hopeful. And then we're saying leave loud. Mm. And then some of us are saying, well, we need to go back or we need to figure out what we what we can do. But what would you say to the people who are in those institutions and who are looking at this as an omen? Mm. And, and it feels like it's the walls are closing in a little bit. Yeah. And, and you're, you're going to have to make a choice. Yeah. Yep. Are we at that at another inflection point with Palm Beach and with yeah. um, Taylor University? Are we at an inflection point that says now there needs to be a question of, of leave loud in the academy? Mm. <laughs> there needs to be a, a reformation of institutions within the academy. Is that where we're headed? Absolutely. It's where we're headed. Uh, There are a few levels. Number one, uh, there's a difference between what's happening at the grass top and what's happening at the grassroots. So as we look at Taylor University, Grove Cities, Hillsdale College is among them, you know, the administration and the trustees and some of the alumni, their ethos is very different than the faculty, the staff and the students. So even as we look at Taylor, you know, the faculty and the students are not nearly as troubled by this professor's curriculum or, or syllabus, right? They're, in, as a matter of fact, they're, they're wanting it. They're wanting more of it. And I think at that sort of grassroots level, it's survivable because as a student or in the day-to-day, well, here's what's happening among faculty. Faculty are being, um, they're being intimidated. Yeah. So I think for faculty, it's very quickly coming to a decision point. Um, The other level is listen to your body. Hmm. So to me, this is not just a mind thing. Let's make a pros, cons list. Do I stay? Do I go? Our bodies realize truths far in advance. That's the embodiment. Of our brains. That's that's Yes, right. Yes. And 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 to me, you you sort of feel it in your body before you your head catches up when you walk into your office and you tense up or you get an email from that person and, you know, your blood kind of freezes. Right. Like you, your body knows there's something there. And maybe it's not, oh, I got to go because of that. Or it might be I've got to say something or have a conversation or confront something. Right. But then in addition I would just encourage people with any big decision, it's always hardest right before you make the change. Hmm. It always gets harder. So as you see these things happening in Christian higher ed and you're thinking more and more, this is not the place for me. This is not the place where I can be true, where I can flourish, et cetera, et cetera. And you're starting to, to consider maybe it's time for me to leave. Maybe it's time for me to find something else. That's the point when it gets most difficult. Why? Because it becomes so much clearer at that point of decision, as you're approaching that point of decision, it becomes so much clearer what you've got, what's familiar, when you try to justify, well, it's not so bad. There's some good things here. And then the other part of it is, I don't know what's on the other side. Hmm. And that's the fear part. 
okay, what if I leave and I don't get a job? What if I leave and go someplace worse? What if I leave and, you know, there's a new president and it gets better, right? What, what am I, what if I leave and what about my students? All of those valid, legit, I get it. But I can tell you, having left multiple institutions now <laughs> because they weren't really committed to racial justice, it's not easier. There are different challenges, but you're freer. Hmm. You're more authentic. Yeah. You're more integral. You're more whole. And I think that's worth the cost. I, I really believe it's important for us to document and to break down that that process mm. and that journey, because I think for a lot of people, they don't have someone to sit down with them and talk them through that journey, mm -hmm. talk them through that process, talk them through that experience. And so then they start to question slowly but surely right. themselves yep. and question whether or not. And this is this is important to understand, too. And this is something that you were mentioning earlier about avatars that people create. And I want to emphasize this for black Christians who are listening and if you're if you're listening or you're watching and you are feeling something in your body now because mm. you've had a very similar experience, I just want to encourage some black Christians out there. It's not you. That's right. And I think the the assumption is it is so easy. And there are some situations that um, I've been navigating that you know about. It's easy to import on yourself the idea. It's me. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with it's my fault. It's it's and you slowly but surely. And as you tense up, I feel like you slowly but surely squeeze the life out of your own authenticity. Yes. yes. And I think black Christians need to know and hear it's not about you that they are not resisting ultimately you as a person. But ultimately, they are resisting truth. Mm. And it doesn't mean that there's not nuance and opinion. But when we get down to it, the idea that truth and confession and repentance are crucial in both history and the scripture is not a controversial take. It is not an anti-gospel take. It is not an anti-Christian take. It is just simply an anti-white supremacy take. Ooh, there you go. And so what we see here is we will import upon ourselves and receive that backlash and yeah. receive that vitriol as personal. And I think it is important for us to say and remind those who are listening, it's, it's bigger. They're, they're opposing something greater than, than even us, greater than me, greater than mm -hmm. you, greater than this movement. Mm -hmm. And I think that should give us, number one, a little bit of peace, but also a little bit of perspective because we are a part of a great movement within history. That's it. That's it. That we have to stand in in our time. So th th this is my, you know, how how pastors always say, I have one sermon. <laughs> like, I, I really have one sermon at, at this season in my life, which is the church is a community of people on the way. And... It's really only in standing up for justice where it's costly for you that you find that community on the way. And this is this is a renaissance in our faith. We talk all the time about deconstructing and decolonizing our faith. A lot of times it's cerebral, right? 
okay, well, which doctrines, which theologies, you know, do I need to take apart and blah, 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 right? <laughs> the, I think the real deconstruction You're up some mess. You meddling now. You meddling now. I think the real decolonizing is leaving the colony. It is saying that the ethos here, in this context we're talking about anti-racial justice efforts, is not something that I can stay in with integrity. And I don't know what's on the way, but I have to get going. And this is what I can tell you from experience, is that when you get going, you encounter other people on the way. You encounter the church. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget Professor Sam from Palm Beach Atlantic. We had an interview on, on my Footnotes podcast, and he was just very honest. I really appreciate his vulnerability here. He said, as a Christian teaching at a Christian university, he said, my faith was hanging on by a thread. Hmm. He was about to turn away from Christianity my, my, altogether. My. He said it felt like his faith was being suffocated in that environment. And he said the moment he went public with his story, he felt his faith start to come alive again. Th this is so powerful because I think we are missing the crux and the center of why we do what we do. Okay. Because we do what we do not to promote an agenda or a movement or not to resist another group of people. Mm. We do what we do, promote what we promote because we truly believe that when we do God's kingdom comes, come on and yes. God's will is done yes. on earth as it is in heaven. And in that is the flourishing of our faith. In that is the expansion of our souls. In that is found our flourishing as human beings created in God's image and likeness. Mm. And so people, people are always talking about like this, this idea versus that idea, this policy versus that policy. And I'm like, well, let's pause here. We're doing this because we believe this is Jesus work. There it is. Yes. Like we're doing this because we believe this is part of discipleship. This part of the gospel. This is us. what it means. And we believe that when justice rolls mm. and we believe that when justice comes and we believe that when righteousness and equity is flowing as it is supposed to, yes, sir. that not only will the world be better, but our relationship with Christ <laughs> and our, our standing with uh, God. I'm saying. I, mean, we, I feel like sometimes we have to say that because yeah. a, a lot of times people do not hear the point of all of this. Right. It is not to get some opinions off. It's not so we can have a podcast and have viral clips and clippable moments and all that. That is secondary. This is the furthering and the preaching of the gospel. <laughs> what, what are we talking about here? This is the implication of what, why Jesus came. I love that. I love that highlight, underline, exclamation point on all of that. The one sermon I have is when you pursue justice, you get more of Jesus. Like I'm, I'm, I'm selfish about this whole thing. I want more of Jesus. Hmm. And how do I get there? The way he set it up in the kingdom is. You love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. You care for the least of these, my brothers and sisters. You speak up for the oppressed, right? And that's all I'm trying to do. But it's it, the fruit of that. The, my, 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 my favorite verse, if you want to say that, my life verse, whatever, it can change. But in this season, Joshua 1.9. Yeah. 
Be strong. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous with a promise. The command comes with a promise. I am with you wherever you go. The I am with you part, I think we just gloss over it. But there is an intimacy and a closeness of Jesus that I have never experienced until I felt some measure of persecution for righteousness. Now, obviously, there's levels of persecution, right? But even in Matthew chapter five, where you find this verse, the examples Jesus gives of persecution is when people slander you and lie about you and say all kinds of evil things about you. So it's not just, you know, the physical persecution that we experience. It's also the, 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 the maligning of our reputation and our character and what we stand for, right? And what I'm getting at for anyone who's listening is if you are concerned, anxious, as you should be if you're counting the cost. Yes. What I can say is when Jesus promises be strong and courageous I will be with you wherever you go. He means it. Yeah. He means it. And I can't express to you verbally what that feels like, what you will experience. What I can guarantee you is that if God promised it, it's going to happen. You will sense Jesus' presence and a walk with Jesus and a closeness with Jesus that you never knew was possible if you take up your cross. And and then the verses will mean more to you That's it. than what they've ever meant. A hundred percent. And then the, if God be for me, who can be against 100%. me? A hundred percent. And then the nay and all these things, we are more than conquerors. You, you, you asked before how I felt when, you know, I'm associated with all these professors getting in trouble at their schools. That's what I feel. I feel lament for what these professors are going through because they shouldn't have to. They haven't done anything wrong. In fact, they're, they're really helping their students. But on the other side of it, greater is he that is in me. <laughs> okay. You know, we, this is truth against a lie. And I'm glad to the extent that I was able to speak truth. Life has gotten so much more basic for me yeah. in the last few months. Okay. And what I'm realizing is at the end of the day, um, this is a matter of, this is God's business. This is the work of following Jesus. Mm. And I've been committed to following Jesus, ruthlessly obeying Jesus. Mm. Regardless. So, someone asked me about uh, something in particular that I was trying to do. And they said, uh, uh, I'm sure it won't fail. I said, no, I think it probably will fail, <laughs> but it'll fail in the right ways. Mm. And, I want it to fail not because I got in the way, but I want it to fail because I ruthlessly obeyed Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And I clung to Jesus wow. and I went down clinging to Jesus. Yeah. That's what it is. That's all we have. And so, I, you know, as we close, I just want to encourage people. Number one, pray for Jamar. Pray for us. Pray for the people that you retweet and the people that you Mm. share that message. Mm. The messages are important and the messages matter to us. And they've meant so much to us every time you share them. And I can tell so many stories, even over the past few months of meeting some some people, even in my own city that I did not know were watching or listening Mm. or being a part. And I just want to say that means so much to me. What would mean even more 
is if after you said that, you took that to the feet of Jesus and said, now cover, cover my brothers and my sisters and my siblings, cover them with love and grace and uh, cover them with your angels, yes. <laughs> cover on, them man. with supernatural protection, Come cover on, them now. with abundance where they lack. Mm. Um, that would mean so much to us if you do that. But then also be ready and willing to enter into those conversations. Now you cannot huh. put off these conversations huh. in terms of the, the, the internal dialogue of what am I going to do? I think a lot of people have kind of put that off and said, ah, well, you know, I'll address that when an issue comes up within my setting. Mm. I'll address that when someone brings a racist comment, when someone says that to me, when some, when there is discrimination in my church, when there are problems at my college campus, don't put that off. Don't wait. Don't be reactive. Be proactive. Don't be reactive. Be proactive. It's that time because it's, com it's coming to a neighborhood near you, <laughs> coming to a theater near you. Racism. And, and, <laughs> right. And like, while you're waiting and while you're waiting, people are getting hurt and injured and losing their jobs. So, yes. Yes. And amen. I just want to encourage people. Now's the time you are here for such a time as this. You're not listening to these podcasts and consuming this material by accident. Prepare yourself. And, and the good news is no matter what you have to walk through, Jesus is in it with you. Amen. That's what we're clinging to. <laughs>